friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. two weeks of rest and relaxation or whatever the hell you call it when you're at home and have two kids either way a great break full of kids sports a couple of episodes of Dave some catching up on Yellowstone and a much needed recharge of the old mentals I'm happy to be back in the saddle right here episode number 181 of Tim and Friends and I want to thank everyone who held down the fort while I was away of course the folks behind the scenes who y'all don't know but are super talented and the kids in front of the camera from Donovan Bennett to Faisal Kamisa, Ivanka Osmak, Kevin Mickey, all of the friends and of course the homie Jesse Rubinoff. I caught a little. You were great, friend. How did it feel over on this side of the desk? It's electric over there. <laughs> it is an electric factory. I don't know how you do it by yourself. It's crazy. It was, oh, so much fun. You had fun. Yeah. Yeah? How could you not? Are you, uh, are you a little perturbed about being back at the... Uh, I don't get perturbed. The, the minuscule desk big word. over there? It's a big word. A little upset? Perturbed. No, a little, of course not. A little tongue-in-cheek perturbed? I did... Uh, I did what, what? What's that face? I love it here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did anyone at home believe when you said I love it here? <sighs> The only reason you're not here, right, is Mm. because when guests come in, it would look weird if you moved over and then came back. We we had a Rashmi Daddy here with uh, Donovan, and I was sitting in the middle. It was... uh, it was weird. <laughs> it was, he, was, he was talking. He was talking across me. And daughter was asking questions across. I was like ping pong and back and forth yeah. between the two of them. But you know what? I loved it. Uh, you're, you're back at the little desk. And I'm back. I get tweets all the time about you sitting at the little desk and whether or not I can bring you. I have the power in some way, shape, or form to throw you at that side of the desk. And there's been conversations behind the scenes. And there's been uh, talk about how tiny your desk is. But <laughs> I was watching Breakfast Television. Our good friends at Breakfast Television, Sid Sixero, Dina yeah. Pugliese, Devo Brown. And I noticed uh, that you're not the only one <laughs> with a tiny desk. So there's Sid and Dina at a big desk. Look at Devo's desk. <laughs> that was way smaller. <laughs> that, that, that I was watching and I snapped a picture on my phone. Like, What it, the hell is that? If you want to complain about your desk anytime moving forward, I'm going to get you Devo's desk. I'm not complaining. The people <laughs> online complain for me, but Devo... Wait a second. You have complained on air about the size of your desk. And I, I responded by saying it's not always the size that matters, it looks as nice. Devo apparently knows. It looks smaller on TV, I think. <laughs> What's the deal with that? What is that one? It like, looks- and he's standing, and it looks like it looks way smaller than this looks because he's standing, and it's like a foot off the ground. I don't know about that. I mean, I don't want to call out breakfast television. I feel like I am right now. But, like, let's get Devo a bigger nightstand if that's what we're going to – that's what it is, right? It looks smaller on TV. Mm. Quote, end quote. Jesse Rubinoff, December 6th. Okay. I got it. So did, did, did I, uh, now that we've got this established, mm. you, you've got a, a fine size desk. Yes. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I think you, I think you're doing well over there. Below average size. <laughs> if, if, like, if we're if we're comparing desk sure, sizes, yeah. you have a big one over there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, my, mine's rather large. Maybe I'm compensating for something. <laughs> Either way, I had two weeks off. Yeah, you did. You did. Did I miss anything? Okay, here we go. Uh, we almost had the malice of the palace part two. The Montreal Canadiens <laughs> fired yeah. Mark Bergevin and hired Jeff Gordon. Man, you parted ways with Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer. TFC hired Bob Bradley. The Blue Jays signed Kevin Gossman. Marcus Simeon signed with the Rangers. Robbie Ray signed with the Mariners. Max Scherzer signed with the Mets for a billion dollars. But baseball is now locked out. <laughs> yeah. Kid on the seniors men's basketball team beat the Bahamas twice. I saw that. In FIBA qualifying. The Grizzlies Sportsnet. beat the Thunder by 73 points. Uh-huh. And Brendan Lemieux bit Brady Kachuk. <laughs> You enjoyed the time off? He did. He did bite me. And that's half of it because we had a few things happen last night. It sounds like we got a show. Here we go. Here's how it breaks down as uh, we are coming to you live, as always, from the Sportsnet Studios in downtown Toronto. We will be with you for the next 90 minutes till 6.30 Eastern on Sportsnet when hometown hockey takes over from Pembroke, Ontario, followed by the Avs and the Flyers on day one of the Mike Yo era in Philadelphia. We'll explain Alain Vigneault out, yada, yada, yada. Then at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific, the Canucks, who you may have heard just cleaned house, are having a news conference which we will bring to you live. 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific. Canucks chairman Francesco Aquilini will talk, and that's a rarity. In fact, I reached out to the homies in Vancouver to find out just how rare this is. Thomas Drance, Athletic and Sportsnet 650, says he thinks it's the first general availability for Mr. Aquilini since the Nucks hired Trevor Linden in 2014. It's crazy. That is insane. I may have had hair the last time he <laughs> spoke to the media unfiltered. Well, probably not. Speaking of bald and sexy... Bruce Boudreaux also scheduled to speak 4.15 Pacific, and we've got you covered. Because we care, because we understand the passion of that fan base, we are sticking around a little late today to bring that to you live. That and because I don't want to be called the Toronto Sports Network. Because mm. we're not that, or at least we try hard not to be that. Although, Jesse... We have to talk Leafs and Jets, some drama coming up in First Things First. Are we getting suspensions after that game last night? We've also got football from north and south of the border. Pascal Siakam busts out of the Raptors when they're second straight. I got to settle down. The kids got to settle down. Jesse's going to take it. We've got you covered for the next, I don't know, two and a half hours or so as the Tim and Tim and Friends is back. So let's bring the heat Peekaboo Street. First things first. First. You can't burn all your energy in the first three minutes. Why not? <laughs> I'm here and I am ready and I am relaxed. The reserves I'm... are back up to full. <sighs> Almost. Love it. Almost. Love it. Okay, so the writing was on the wall for the Canucks after yeah. Saturday's 4-1 loss to the Pittsburgh Penguins with a jersey thrown on the ice and fire-bending chance at Rogers Arena. And on Sunday, the team... <laughs> cleaned house, firing both Jim Benning and Travis Green. Bruce Boudreaux has been hired as the new head coach while Stan Smile was named interim GM. The Canucks are currently in last place in the Pacific Division. Did they have any other choice at this point? Stan Smile will Smeal. smile. I know that. Smeal. I understand that. Um, this was inevitable. I mean, if Aquilini, Benning, Green... 
I don't know, the team, anyone around the team, like walking around the city that they work in or own a team in, this was inevitable. The fans sent the message about 145 times, at least. And you couldn't be on the hot seat to start the season, be last in what is what most folks thought was going to be the softest division in hockey and not have something happen. Like, I said it was done before I went on vacation. I'm surprised it got this far. I wasn't sure Travis Green was to blame here, but that the shot of him after the jersey hit the ice on Saturday night. I mean, Brian Dumoulin, first off, being very nice <laughs> and kind of putting the jersey back over the boards was very cool. But the shot of him staring into Harold Schnepp's soul told me all I need to know. Like, that's the look of a man with no more answers. And he'll get another job, and he should get another job. He got hired by a last-place team. Two years later, they make a run and get within, what, a game Mm -hmm. of the Western Conference final? Like, I think he'll be fine, but that look told me that he needed a change, too. It wasn't just the team. It looked like he needed a change, too. The Jim Benning thing... Well, that's another thing altogether. Like, the fire in the city surrounding Jim Benning, the fire in the lower mainland surrounding Jim Benning was a raging inferno that needed attention. I'm not saying Mr. Booth represents Canucks fans, but he went in, blogger, tweeter, whatever you want to call him, he went in again, and it kind of went viral. I think this represents... A little bit about how Canucks fans felt about Jim Benning. Our first selection, we select from the, the WHL, Calgary Hitman, Jake Bertanen. you by the rest direct you where to go. So make the best of this task and don't why. It's not a question but a lesson learned in time. It's something unpredictable, but in the end is right. I hope you had the time of your life. That was just a snippet, and I literally had to like pause it, read some of the tweets, go back a little bit. I mean, it was just time. And it probably had been time for a while. It feels like the fans finally got their way and had their say. And I'm just interested now what this means moving forward when fan bases become super vocal like this. Because uh, does it take fans throwing jerseys on the ice? Yeah, Jersey Thrower got his way. I I think Jersey Thrower may have been the final nail on the coffin. Honestly, like was that the final, like was it the final straw that led to this? Like because fans are now embarrassed to be fans of the Vancouver Canucks. And well, I mean, that doesn't it's happened well in other them. Canadian cities, too. Yeah. And nothing's happened. But <laughs> I think I think Jersey Thrower got this done. Yeah, I agree. And now you bring in uh, Bruce Boudreau, and I, I look at Bruce Boudreau, and it's just a different vibe than what they had with Travis Green and Jim Bun- Benning at the helm. Yeah. It seemed like Travis Green's a very uh, detail-oriented coach. Yeah. And they bring in Bruce Boudreau, who's done 
He's had a ton of regular season success, hasn't exactly translated to playoff success, but I don't think they care in Vancouver because they would gladly take a playoff run right now at the moment, given where they are right now. Do, is the season lost with Brujo coming in, or can he actually turn I mean, the ship around? To ask him to do this right here, right now, is a lot to ask, obviously. Yes. But what he does well and what he's done well every step of the way with a ton of experience in the NHL is play like a high-tempo, mm-hmm. high-speed, skill game that can score some goals. What do the Canucks need right now is they need their high-speed, up-tempo, skill guys to get going. And to be honest with you, I think they got a little bit of a steal here only having to get him for the rest of this year and next year. So they get like a trial time with Bruce Boudreaux to see if that's the guy and without a GM for Boudreaux to take this job I think it speaks to how much he wanted this job in fact he spoke to how much he wanted this job he was on uh, Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver and he spoke about the job in Vancouver and for Canucks fans that may have missed this I guess Dobbs was this like a couple weeks ago about 10 days ago. Here's what Bruce Boudreaux said about the job in Vancouver. I'm a Canadian. Um, never never coached in Canada. Uh, would, would be thrilled at the opportunity, but uh, it's, it's uh, and, you know, Vancouver is a great city. Great, I think they got great fans. It's, uh, I, I don't think anybody would not love that opportunity, but I would love for Travis Green to stay there and turn the team around and uh, and them have success because I think the Canucks have come very close in the past. It would be great to see them uh, uh, hoist the cup some uh, someday. Well, now he'll get the opportunity to take that team over. Shout out Sat Shaw, Dan Riccio, Randy Janda, yeah. uh, the host of the People Show. Yeah. I mean, you look, Bruce Boudreaux has an incredible regular season coach record. He's third in points percentage. Uh, among coaches, having coached at least never had a losing games. season. It's crazy. Like only behind John Cooper uh, and Scotty Bowman. Like that's the company with which the head coach of the Canucks uh, sits in. Um, so Bruce Boudreaux is now the head coach, and the general manager conversation is something that has already started. Obviously, there's interim people in place there, mm-hmm. but Mark Bergevin's name has been yeah. bandied about. And Tim, let me just tell you, it's not going well. I'm sure you've seen it. Not going well on Canucks Twitter. Even nothing, the mention the, of Mark Bergevin. Just nothing goes in. well on Canucks Twitter. No, no, but this, okay. this is Very, extreme. Mr. Booth went well <laughs> on Canucks Twitter. Right. Uh, Mark Bergevin's not going to go well on Canucks Twitter. Is Mark Bergevin finished second in executive of the year voting last year. Like, it's just unbelievable where we're at. And I, I know there are other circumstances surrounding some of the guys that Mark Bergevin was flirting with and Mark Bergevin brought in. There's a lot of people suggesting that Mark Bergevin is already the top candidate in Vancouver. Whether or not that comes to fruition is a completely different story altogether. We'll ask Ian McIntyre, who is going to join us a little later on. But one more thing that I wanted to get in, I know we're running out of time quickly here, is after the practice, uh, the players were today were asked to speak. And I'll never forget, you and I had a conversation after 
They lost, the Canucks lost 7-1 to the Colorado Avalanche. And I said to you that day, that's the type of game that gets people fired. You did say that. And then they followed it up against Vegas with a 7-4 loss. And then they followed that up with Anaheim and a 5-1 loss. And I thought, that's the end of it. And, yep, we got a couple more games. And then people were wondering, oh, if you beat Montreal and Ottawa, what does that mean in the grand scheme of things? Then you got the jersey. And it all comes to an end. But this is Bo Horvat after practice today. And listen, Bo Horvat has been a great soldier for this team. They trot him out there. He's got to talk about things all the time because there's no real leader outside of Jim Benning. And he wasn't talking because he just gets ripped. And you don't hear from Francesco Aquilini, but you're going to hear from Francesco Aquilini. So here was Bo Horvat after practice today. Our team needed a spark, and and uh, Bruce coming in and and having positive energy and, and wanting us to do well and believing in our group. I think uh, you know it brings us new life, and um, but at the same time, you know we have to go out there and prove it now. I mean, there's uh, it, it's up to us. It's always been up to us. Um, we all got to be accountable in there and and go out there and prove it. I really believe in our group. I believe in our core players. I believe in our young guys, and I want to win here. Uh, I want to be a Canuck. I I want to win here as a Canuck and. You know, I really believe in our group. I don't think anybody wants to rebuild here. Um, you know, again, like I said, I think we have the core pieces. I think we have the young guys to to take the next step, and and um, and we have a foundation here. It's just a matter of us going out there and doing it. Um, again, being all of us holding each other accountable, holding a higher standard, I think, is the best way to put it in our room, where we know what type of team we have. We just got to go out there and do it now, and uh, there's no excuses. That's a captain. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder if that energy was what the players wanted to change to. Yeah. But now, now it's on them. Like, now yeah, you've no done everything ex- you can. No more excuses. Like, in, a, in an alternative universe, you could have fired the general manager, not the head coach, or the head coach, not the general manager, yeah. and then you still have that bullet to fire. You just fired both of them. So now it's on the players. Right. And you got Bruce, yes. who, by all accounts, all players like. Yeah. And you're going to play an up-tempo system. So uh, there are no more excuses for that team, they got to get it done unless they're just going to keep blaming Benning moving forward. Lots more coming up on the Canucks, including the press conference a little bit later. Okay, things got a little ugly last night in Winnipeg. Late in the Jets' 6-3 win over the Maple Leafs. Winnipeg opened up a 5-1 lead midway through the second before things devolved into what Austin Matthews described as a, quote, gong show. What did you make of the end of that game, Tim? There's a lot to unravel here, and uh, the Department of Player Safety is currently unraveling Uh, a lot of it. (laughs) Here's what I'll say. I heard a lot from Leafs Twitter last night about the pushback that the Leafs had. And I am one that has sat at this desk and suggested that that's exactly what they need a little bit more of. And there was a little bit more pushback from the Leafs against uh, a team that was, quite frankly, taking some liberties with Mm -hmm. them. And it's all well and good for Wayne Simmons to do it. It's all well and good for Kyle Clifford to do it. Hell, Jason Spezza has stood up for this team time and time again. I was raised in an era when people did things that you didn't like, you had to take care of yourself. And we're at a point, and I've said this numerous times and I'm starting to get really frustrated about it, we're at a point in the NHL where star players aren't being protected 
And Austin Matthews, I'm sorry, the era that I grew up in, you couldn't just let Pierre-Luc Dubois do that to you. Like, you had to get up and take some sort of penalty. Like, the fact that the referees let this scrum between Pierre-Luc Dubois and Matthews be 2-2 two and two is ridiculous. <laughs> like, he got ragdolled. If, if it's going to go that way, and it has gone that way repeatedly in the NHL over the last little while, then Matt, I grew up in an era where people told me that if a guy's running you, you get your stick up and you hit him in the mouth and he won't do it again. Right? 100%. And you've seen Sidney Crosby have to defend himself. You've seen Connor McDavid against Neil Pionk mm-hmm. have to defend himself. And the fact that Neil Pionk's knee-on-knee on Rasmus Sandin, which we just saw, was unpenalized. That's it. The fact that Jason Spetz's hit on Pionk in response to the Pionk hit on Sandin was unpenalized is ridiculous. Like, what are we doing? Is, is there any way that the NHL is doing this on purpose because they know that people get a little bored during the regular season and we'll just let a few things go here or there in the regular season and we might get a little more excitement in a game in Winnipeg on uh, December the 5th. On a Sunday night. I had to look down to see what day Because <laughs> I just came back from vacation. Yes, you did. Uh, I don't think Jason Spezza would have an in-person hearing if this was like... If Peon gets five a in a game, there's no a chance. A hundred percent. I have no idea why it wasn't called. I have no idea why the, I have no idea why the knee wasn't called. I have no idea why the Spezza hit wasn't. I have no idea. That's just two blatant missed calls. Like, what I wanted to do is get your opinion. First of all, did you think either of them? Well, did you think either of them were dirty? I didn't yes, wanna, I both didn't of wa- them. I didn't want to lead you. I didn't want to lead you. Yes, like, both of them. Examination. But, but Pionk's came before Spezza, yeah. and when there was no penalty to Pionk, you knew the whole world knew in a game like that. Yeah. What was going to happen? And Pionk's lucky it was just Spezza. So does Spezza get more because it's more of a premeditated? Like we saw on the broadcast and we saw in, in the mm-hmm. highlights after the game that we, we, we saw Spezza's reaction on the bench. We saw that he wasn't happy immediately after the, the Sandine hit. So does Spezza get not more now because it A, is dirtier, or B, uh, because it's premeditated, because you saw his reaction on the bench, or both? Because he's going to get more. He's going to get more. Whereas okay, I'm I, just... I'm going to stop you because we have a ruling from the Department of Player Safety as you were speaking. That is insane timing. It's not Spezza, it's Pionk. Uh, Pionk has been suspended two games for his knee-on-knee hit. This is breaking news. Neil Pionk suspended two games for his knee-on-knee hit on Rasmus Sandin. Again, unpenalized during the game. And we'll wait to hear what Jason Spezza gets for the response. Like, I don't know who's watching that play and doesn't think that's a penalty. I, honestly, what I will say is that there were a lot of people that didn't, and they're probably all Jets fans because you can't look at that. He's making a play to hit, and while he Sebi, you're a Habs fan, no skin in this game whatsoever. Although you might hate Leaf fans, <laughs> is that a penalty? <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. We're we're all in agreement. And if they call it, then you don't get the nonsense. The the problem I have with it is, and look, it looks like uh, Sandine's only going to miss two to three weeks. So that's good news because it looked like he was done. And he's been pretty good for the Leafs. So the problem I have with it is 
you ratchet up the level of a game that you already just call the damn penalty. It's in the rule book. And Spetz's was unpenalized too. I don't know. I did this thing on this show. We're out of time. I realize it. We're already three minutes late, <laughs> but it's my first day back and I'm going to keep going. I did a thing on this show in the postseason where I showed suspensions that were unpenalized. I had several suspensions that in the game were unpenalized. Oh, it's a fast game, Tim. You can't see someone. I know. I've been watching it my whole life. I don't know how they miss things like this repeatedly and then suspend the guy later. It led to the rest of that game. And maybe, maybe part of me wonders if the NHL doesn't want. Sorry, that looked bad. I, that, I was just holding a pen. Part of, me, part of me wonders if the NHL doesn't want that. Yeah, I think it's an indictment of the officiating. That's for sure. Like, you have to have a sit the officiating crew down and say, look, you, didn't, you did not give penalties on either of these plays that we're ending up suspending both of them. Like, that's a bad look. I'm not saying McDavid was the same thing, but Kempe pulled them, got McDavid pissed off, and then McDavid hit him from behind. That was exactly what should – no suspension, got a misconduct, move on. Everything's fine. Kempe's fine. That's it. That's fine. And a little bit of frustration, obviously, I think, for McDavid because he, oh, gets, a doubt. he gets held and hooked on every single shift. Uh, but, I mean, it's not like he was five feet from the boards and super dangerous. Wasn't a great hit. Got a penalty. Move on. End of story. Yeah, but this is, what, this is what the NHL has created when they don't call penalties on their stars. The stars have to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. Go ask Sidney Crosby. And we lost part of Sidney Crosby's career yes. because we let David Steckel get away with a little bit of a shot to the head that concussed the best player on planet Earth. And to me, it's ridiculous. It's a great point. All right, uh, let's move on with something. You may have noticed, uh, Jesse and I are both wearing white ribbons. Uh, They are to recognize that December 6th is the National Day of Remembrance and Action on Violence Against Women. Now, it was on December 6th, 1989, that a violent act at the Cole Polytechnique in Montreal claimed the lives of 14, a disgustingly violent act, claimed the lives of 14 women. As we mourn the loss, we remember their lives, we just wanted to reaffirm our commitment to to fight the hatred that led to this tragedy and the misogyny that still exists today. Gender-based violence in Canada has been magnified during the pandemic. There have been reports from police services, shelters, and local organizations of the increase in calls related to gender-based violence across Canada during this pandemic. If you know someone who has experienced violence and need help, you can visit sheltersafe.ca, an online resource for women and their children seeking safety from violence and abuse. We'll also tweet out the phone numbers on screen for you to help find help in your region. We owe it. We owe it to all the women in our lives to educate ourselves and our families and even our communities on gender-based violence. We need to listen to the voices of survivors, save the thoughts and prayers, and put them into actions and speak up against what we all know is wrong. Just another gentle reminder on a day like today to be a good human, please. All right, back to what I do best, I think. Sports still to come on this edition of Tim and Friends. Ian McIntyre from Vancouver is the Canucks. 
make sweeping changes. Plus, we'll go live to news conferences from Francesco Aquilini and Bruce Boudreaux a little later on. Also, Justin Dunk on the Grey Cup and Vanier Cup, which we will get into next on an extended version of First Things First and some Raptors talk if we have time, but I've been way late. <laughs> Monday, let's go. Hillock, wide open, Griffin Campbell in a foot race. Touchdown, Western. The Mustangs, eighth Vanier Cup championship. We got and a ball game. That's gone, Tom. Arrogant up, over the middle, Dr. Adams. A great cup rematch is coming up in Hamilton in one week's time. I don't get that. I, I have no compassion for any fan throwing the sweater on the ice. I don't get it. Oh, that was a great move. Another great move and a fantastic finish. A wonderful individual effort. Emma Woods, her first professional goal. What a way to score it. Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. How much damage on Hamilton's Mercedes? What has happened there? Hey, look at the shots. This is his pregame warm-up. Nailed it from the tunnel! All right, Jesse, let's get back into first things first because I went about eight minutes long on the opening Love segment. It. Love it. Okay, uh, busy football weekend north and south of the border. Um, do you want to start with the NFL or the CFL? Where's U Sports? Oh, How did okay. you leave U Sports out of the That's mix in the fault. Vanier Cup? That's my fault. That's my fault. Yeah, damn right it's your fault, Jesse Rubinoff. Yeah. Uh, I'll just say this. I don't understand why football fans hate on the CFL. And here's, here's what I mean. I, I, I love football, right? Mm -hmm. I've said this numerous times in the show. If you watch the show, you understand the show. I just like football. And over the weekend, I was enjoying football, and I was trying to get our digital team to also put out some football content. And we got responses like, ah, who cares about the CFL? Ah, why are you guys talking about the CFL? Rick tweeted in and says, doesn't matter. No one watches the CFL anyway. This mm. guy, John, writes in and says, the CFL started. Like, the demeaning of the CFL, I can't comprehend. Like, if you like soccer slash football, you don't say Italy sucks because it's not the best league in the world. Like, you don't, people still go out and watch the MLS, and it's what, the 10th best league in the world? The 12th best league in the world? Like, what are we doing here? I don't understand it. And the part that got me the most was the ignorance around the CFL. Like, why are they playing on Sunday? They'll get completely dominated by the NFL. Historically, the CFL does well in the playoffs on Sunday. In fact, I have numbers to back it up. Adam Seaborn on Twitter. Here are the numbers. The CFL West Final. I'll zoom in. And this is unbiased because it was all on TSN and CTV so we have no we have absolutely no horse in this race CFL West final did almost 1.35 million okay that's the top rated show in sports over the weekend beats the Leafs Jets although that was regional CFL Eastern final beats any NFL game, I'm talking about Ravens and Steelers. I'm talking about Sunday night football, which was an important game between the Chiefs and the Broncos. I'm talking about the one o'clocks. Both CFL games 
in terms of viewers in Canada, smacked the bleep out of the NFL, and it was all on the other guys. So again, we have no horse in this race. And to me, I don't understand. Do you know why football fans, Mm -hmm. people who like the sport, feel the need to do it's not the best league in the world doesn't mean it's not fun to watch it was a hell of a lot of fun to watch over the weekend first of all uh very impressive way to back up your point with numbers like that uh what i will say is maybe maybe everyone who criticizes it honestly it might be a regional thing and they might be from toronto because it is easy for the cfl to get lost in this city because of everything else that's going going on here and that's what I think because you look at the other markets, you look out west, so you, you just the, saw it in the numbers. You just saw it in the numbers. The CFL does extremely well out west. And Hamilton has a ton of support too. But it was a struggle to get 21,000 people down to BMO Field to watch the game yesterday for the Argos and the Ticats, right? You got to drop the, the parking lot prices. And there's all sorts of different things that, that you use to try and get people in the seats. So maybe it's just a Toronto thing. And maybe everyone that's criticizing it is just an NFL fan in Toronto who resents the CFL because there's no NFL team here. But they had the opportunity and no one showed up. Like the Bills in Toronto For the NFL, was an absolute joke. It was, I was there. It was, it was a joke. And so you would kill an entire league full of Canadian players just for the opportunity to get an NFL team that you already kind of had a shot at and failed miserably for? Some people do silly things sometimes. Although I will say there are some people in the ivory tower upstairs that had something to do with that too. Yeah. <laughs> you want to go there? Uh, I, I'm just going to tell the truth. <laughs> yeah. The tickets were priced too high. Yes. They, but it was, a, it was a gong show. And the atmosphere was not great. <laughs> it was nowhere near no. what the NFL atmosphere really is. No. It felt like, you know what Can I tell someone the truth here? Go for it. You make the atmosphere... If you want it to be, everyone's been to a game in the NFL. Everyone's gone to an NFL game or a college football game. You can make that here. Mm. You can do the exact same thing. It's up to you. You don't have to go to the States to have that atmosphere. You can build it here. They did it in Laval in U Sports. Calgary's got a pretty good team. Go to any Saskatchewan. I, I wish all football fans could just go to Saskatchewan and watch a game at Taylor Field. Or Mosaic Stadium. Let's go road trip. Because that they do it there, and it's the exact same. Ble- you think people go to the Indy 500 for the race? <laughs> you know, they go for the party. You make the atmosphere, and you can make it for Canadian football. I just don't understand why people. I was going to say the word that I wanted to say, and why people crap all over mm. the CFL when the numbers suggest there are a lot of people who enjoy Canadian football. It's silly. Uh, do you want to go back to the Vanier Cup because uh, you want to dress how I'm wearing purple today? Like, I would, look, I was, I was looking, <laughs> I was looking for any sweatshirt I could find, mine, my wife's, anyway, that said Western on it, couldn't yeah. find any, which yeah. I guess shows what kind of alumni I am, but I am wearing purple for a reason today. Uh, just congratulations to the Western Mustangs, to Greg Marshall, uh, a, a great young quarterback on their eighth Vanier Cup title in program history. And I apologize to all those out there who have to deal with their annoying Western <laughs> alumni who are just, no, oh, I went to Western on purpose. <laughs> I don't know if you have any at your workplace, but you got a few at our workplace. We're everywhere. Purple Satan. Yeah, you got that right, Fridge. <laughs> you got, so we got 
Donovan, we got Carolyn Cameron, we got Elliot Friedman, we got Jesse Rubin. No, I mean, don't, all I'm doing is wearing purple. And I wear this all the time anyway. Please don't group me into the The Western alums. <laughs> Uh, all right, so it's Hamilton's Winnipeg in the Grey Cup, Western uh, winning the Vanier Cup, and a big week in the NFL. Week 13 wraps up with a great Monday nighter between the Patriots and the Bills with first place on the line in the AFC East. You know Bills Mafia will be fired up for this one, speaking of atmospheres, Timmy. And after another unpredictable weekend, the playoff picture in both the AFC and NFC got even more complicated. So tell me what was the biggest win and the worst loss and the best celebration of week 13. All right, we're going to go rapid fire through this. And for all the CFL fans, we're like, why did you just stop talking? You're only talking about ratings. Talking about the game. We're going to talk about the games with Justin Dunn coming up. Yeah. Best win, I believe, Kansas City Chiefs. Their fifth straight victory. Their defense has looked pretty damn good. And the offense hasn't looked all that great yet. That's crazy. Would you, if I offered the bet back oh to you. Oh, my. Of the Chiefs versus the field in the AFC, the one that you were so confident in early that you got really scared of when we didn't make the bet, said you wouldn't make. If I offered it back to you now, Chiefs versus everyone else in the AFC, would you now take it? Do I get any odds? No. Yeah, I'll take it. You would take it. Yeah, I'd take it now. So that's the that's why that's the biggest win of the week because yeah. the Chiefs may officially be back. The worst loss could be several. It could be the Bengals. It could be the Raiders. It could be the Viking. The, Vi- the yeah. Viking. Sorry, Rash. It's still not any of those. It's the Ravens, and it's not the L. It's not the L. It's that they lost another DB. Marlon Humphrey out for the year. This team is so banged up. They have one player. From their initials, their week one starting defense, they have one player left. I don't know how they win any week, let alone be eight and four on the season. I think this last one, the reason they went for two is because they had no more DBs left. They didn't think they, they couldn't stop Ben Roethlisberger in the fourth quarter. 16 fourth quarter points from the Steelers. And finally, you asked me a best celebration. Best celebration, yeah. There's a couple. I know people want me to say, uh, OBJ and the uh, the the COD Selly, the Call of Duty Selly, um, where it's a self revive. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> Do you know this at all? Yeah, yeah, he used to play and, COD back in the day. And I think he's reviving his career yeah. in LA. And I think Whoa. that's I think that's, that's what he's trying nice. to say that he did, mm-hmm. and he put a lot of thought into it. But it's not. It's Gardner Minshew and his dad after he absolutely destroyed the Jets and. The best part of this, and if we can roll it one more time, the best part of this, guys, is that people don't understand that he was joking. Watch the first two. By the way, he's wearing a Top Gun jacket. (laughs) The first two, yeah. And then there's a laugh. And there's had the aviators on too when he showed up. So good. Uh, Gardner Minshew's that guy. He is that guy. And and there's Eagles fans all over the place that want him to start over Jalen Hurts. Probably not going to happen, but uh, still nice to see. Uh, By the way. This Monday nighter is going to get the full Bills Mafia treatment. Like, I don't know if it's safe to put a Monday nighter in Buffalo, but they've done it against the New England Patriots. We're going to show you weather from Buffalo that suggests that if the lines haven't already moved, they need to move in a hurry because it is ugly in Buffalo. But it's December. 
it's Buffalo. We wouldn't have it any other way. Two years later, we have a great cup rematch. Tie Cats, this time, will host the Bombers in Hamilton. We will discuss yesterday's wild division finals and Saturday's Vanier Cup with the man who was in the booth calling the game in the bow, Justin Dunn, next, and Tim and Friends. Sportsnet, Sportsnet Music. Tim and Friends, Jesse Rubinoff, you have tweets. Yes, uh, Chris says, love hearing Tim and Friends with some truth bombs. Bring real football atmosphere to the game day experience at all the CFL stadiums, and the league will thrive. It's as simple as that. <laughs> yeah, Travis that. says, thank you, Tim. As a Riders fan and a fan of the CFL, I really appreciate you standing up for the league. means even more that you said something when it's the other channel's show, which it is in fact, yeah, let's, let's bring Justin Dunk into this conversation. He is joining us uh, with a lovely backdrop at his uh, <laughs> day job at uh, CHCH. So thank you very much, Mr. I, I, I forgive you for ripping the Dink and Dunk moniker to our segment uh, last week because of what you've done here with the Tim and Friends background. Do you understand why football fans tear on Canadian football? Because I, I, I honestly don't get it. I don't either, man. We're supposed to be polite Canadians and embrace our culture. Yet here we are, it seems like every year ripping apart the CFL or potentially even Canadian University ball. And as those tweets that Jesse read suggest, if we just embraced it, and honestly, I think the true football atmosphere would help, then that would push it over to the Fairweather fan that just looks at it and goes, ah, it's second rate. I'm not interested. Right. And and there's problems with building, right? Like, you have to build it. They built it. I, I use the example of Laval, and you were just there for the U Sports final. And obviously, it's a little bit different with Western and Saskatchewan in the Vanier Cup. You can't really, um, you can't really build it for Laval, though they did a pretty good job. But on a Laval regular season game, there is a great atmosphere that any Canadian football fan would love to be a part of. Certainly, and they're they're bright and early, Timmy, and what you're alluding to is the tailgate there, and even though Saskatchewan and Western were in the Vanier Cup, that tailgate was still going on at the break of dawn at Laval. Like, it's yeah. bred into those people, and that's the atmosphere that we need to embrace across the country and allow to happen. Obviously, the laws are different in Quebec, so you can do it. Man, Timmy, I remember showing up with you one time, and there was a freaking zip line in that parking lot. Like, we wanted to <laughs> on it before the broadcast. we got to bring the fun back around Canadian football and make it not as extreme as jumping on tables like the Buffalo Bills, yeah. but fun in that way. Yeah, and I remember when they used to sell the full six-packs. I don't know if they still do, <laughs> but they would just hand you the six-pack still in the wrap, and you could walk back to your seat. Uh, that might help. Anyways, uh, let's get to what was a very entertaining weekend in the CFL. And listen, the only way Saskatchewan hangs around in that game is to uh, have six turnovers to two or five to zero in the first half. But is that a little bit concerning to you moving forward from Winnipeg, or is the fact that they survived uh, a legend within itself? It is. It doesn't concern me at all. It just shows the strength of this Bombers defense even more. And if they can win a game 
losing the turnover battle plus four. Yeah. And what happens if it's even in the Grey Cup? Like the Ticats better watch out, although I think the Ticats have a shot. But this Bombers defense is something else. We've talked about Willie Jefferson a lot and Jackson Jeffco, but I think Adam Big Hill is really under the radar. And they were on the field a bunch, put in difficult situations, yeah. and came up big in a West Final for the first time in decades there in Winterpeg. So how does Hamilton have a shot here? Well, let's go back to the first game of the season. All right, Jeremiah Masoli was the starter in Winnipeg. It was 19-6 for the Bombers, and the Ticats played terribly, to be quite honest. It was a new offensive line, so now that Darius Sirocco, the center there, is more comfortable after Mike Filer decided to retire, I think that will be critical. Chris Van Zyl's healthy. We saw him mixing it up in the East Final. So I think the offensive line being better can be a critical factor in this game. And the fact, too, that Tim White is an emerging star. We saw Patrick White with the punt return touchdown. So the Whites, I think, could play a big role. Even though they're rookies now, they have the experience of a shortened regular season, at least. What about playing at home? What do you think that will do? I mean, Hamilton doesn't get to host the Grey Cup all that often. The fact that the Ticats are playing at home, could this be a severe home field advantage in a, in a championship game? Yes, sir, my man. They get yeah. juiced up to play Tim Hortons Field. Like, the players feed off that energy. The Ticats offense really needs to do so even more because the defense always brings the hammer in the hammer. The city has been a buzz about it since the announcement was made that the 2021 Grey Cup was going to be here. And everybody in the city expected the Ticats to be there. It was just a different route that they took to get there. But the home field advantage is going to be definitely in the Ticats' favor. And that's another reason why I think they'll make it a competitive football game. All right, you were mentioning the biggins in the in the hammer. You're talking about Van Zyl, and you were you were talking about Sirocco. Uh, was that what decided this Vanier Cup? Cool, man, it was honestly Western's offensive line led by Elliot Beamer in the middle, of the center. Shout out, he was the MVP of the Mitchell Bowl, and then Zach Fry on the right side, who's going to be a future CFLer. Those do did yeoman's work, and there's some young guys there as well. But the credit goes to Greg Marshall, a good Guelph boy. Born and raised in Guelph, of course, went to Bishop Mack. He coaches those dudes up and instills this run game and allows a rookie quarterback like Evan Hillock to have a day like he had on the national stage because it's simplified and he lets that running game do the work. Uh, we didn't have near enough time to go through all this, but we appreciate not only you, your purple tie, even though you went to Guelph, and your background. <laughs> appreciate it, Dunk. Thank you. For all the people that say I hate Western out there, I'm paying respect today. Okay? <laughs> all right. uh, there is Justin Dunk wearing his purple tie, Jesse Rubinoff wearing his purple shirt, and Tim McAuliffe wearing blue and white. Time for a break. When we come back, we'll head to Vancouver for the players' reactions to the changes at the top. Ian McIntyre will stop by to discuss Jim Benning's tenure and what's next for the Vancouver Canucks. A lot of Canuck chatter as Tim and Frank rolls off. Time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs. Back on this Monday edition of Tim and Friends, back in the saddle, busy day. We're here with you until 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific on Sportsnet, ahead of Rogers Hometown Hockey. We'll hand it over to Ron and Tara, but we'll go overtime on Sportsnet 360 as we bring you the Francesco Aquilini and Bruce Boudreaux news conferences 
live from Vancouver, beginning, as mentioned, at 3.30 Pacific time. The Canucks, it's a game day. They host the Kings tonight on Sportsnet Pacific. And after a morning skate, the next players talked about the changes at the top. Our team needed a spark, and, and uh, Bruce coming in and, and having positive energy and, and wanting us to do well and believing in our group, I think, uh, you know, it brings us new life. And, um, but at the same time, you know, we have to go out there and prove it now. I mean, there's, uh, it, it's up to us. It's always been up to us. These guys put a lot of pressure on themselves to, you know, do well and do well as a team. And, um, you know, I think it goes along with the fresh voice kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, hopefully... Uh, you know, getting him in here, we we just kind of you know take a deep breath and you know maybe start from scratch and and not worry about the past 25 games. His track record is is really good coming into a new team and and uh, like I said, getting the most of the guys. Um, I think he's uh, really going to help us and, and we're really looking forward to 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 have him here. Um, but at the same time, I think the message was pretty clear that that uh, we got to be, believe in it in that room and and uh, play for each other. Hey, listen, the Canucks not the only ones making changes. The Flyers have hired former Canucks head coach Adam Vigneault. He's been in the job since April of 2019. Mike Yo named the interim replacement. Flyers got eight straight games. They've lost eight straight games, excuse me, following a strong start to the season. They will host the Avalanche tonight on Hometown Hockey. GM Chuck Fletcher explained the move earlier today. Yeah, last week I talked about buying time and, and, and trying to find out what we are. And, and, uh, but it's this, you know, I just felt watching our team last night that we needed to make a change. You know, we need to, we need to find a way to spark change with our group. And, um, in an ideal world, we could have bought more time and, and waited, but I just felt we couldn't wait anymore. Yo has a fine haircut. Uh, plenty of follow-up from last night's, air quotations, spirited Leafs-Jets game. Neil Pionk has been suspended two games for his knee-on-knee on Rasmus Sandin. He was expected to miss two to three weeks, which is probably good news given how it looked. Jason Spezza will have an in-person hearing, which means he could face more than five games for his hit on Pionk. And Wayne Simmons was fined just over 2200 bucks, the maximum allowable for a cross-check on Parkins. Teams don't play again until the end of March, but mark it on your calendar because it'll probably be pretty good. No supplemental discipline coming for Connor McDavid after he got five in a game for boarding Adrian Kempe of the Kings last night. Kempe shook off the hit and scored the first of three goals on the five-minute power play. McDavid won suspension in his NHL career. It will remain that. Meanwhile, Bianca Andreescu announced today that she has taken a break from tennis to focus on her physical and mental health. In a social media post, Andreescu said she won't play at the 2022 Australian Open, but is focused on coming back stronger than ever. We, of course, wish Bianca all the best on and off the court. So the big news of the day remains uh, what has happened over the last 24 hours in Vancouver, and it's a market unlike many others so we decided to go with some experience in attempting to break it down a man who has covered the team since 1991 when i had long luxurious curls ian mcintyre joins us from rogers arena ian thanks for doing this appreciate your time i would love to have seen those curls oh, by the way tim they were nice to be with you they were wonderful at one point in time but they are also long gone uh, i don't want i don't want to be unfair 
But I think a lot of fans are asking what took so long for this happen to happen and the order of it all. Can you help us explain a little bit? Well, it, it is only 25 games, but it feels like 125 the way this season has started. I, I think it, is, it took to this point for a couple of reasons. Number one, there was just a general sense of disbelief within the Canuck organization when the team started as badly as they did. They added players in the summer. Uh, Jim Benning, the now former GM, uh, said that he thought they were going to be a playoff team, and, and that was open to a lot of debate. But at the very least, they should have been a playoff race team. And, and they haven't been for a while. So I think part of the delay was just a sense, is, is this real what we're seeing? Could this team really be this bad? All that talent up, up front, Thatcher Demko in goal, all these young players, could it really be this bad? Well, 25 games in, it is, it is this bad. And then, of course, the other thing that happened... Uh, on Saturday is there were, you know, a, a poor effort uh, by the Canucks losing 4-1 to the Pittsburgh Penguins, outshot roughly 2-1. And there was, uh, the unrest was pretty evident inside Rogers Arena. And, and fans, it wasn't the first time that they had uh, chanted uh, fire Benning, but it was the first time that a fan had walked down to the ice to dis- disavow his team by throwing his jersey uh, on the ice, which is, was very symbolic. Yeah. And when you get to a point like that, you can't really uh, come back from that without change. So something something had to happen, and certainly in the last 22 hours, something did. So there were whispers around this team that perhaps Jim Benning was trying to make a change uh, at, the, at the coaching spot. Uh, that didn't happen until all of it happened. The order of it all, can you help us kind of figure out how this went down? Well, as with, with so many uh, other things, it's not ideal around this hockey club, obviously, to have uh, a new coach before you have a new general manager. But I would say, and we're going to hear from Francesco Aquilini, the managing partner, the ownership family, soon. But I would think this uh, is reflective of the fact that they're going to take some time. Uh, now, whether that's two weeks, two months, uh, until the end of the season, they're going to take some time to hire a GM. So if the idea, ideally was to let a new GM hire the coach. Well, if you're not going to hire a GM for a while, then you're not going to change the coach for a while, and then what's going to change? You're going to have a lot more games. I mean, the Canucks have five more games on this homestand. They had to do something. So uh, I think th- that Boudreaux has signed for just two years. It kind of gives the team a little bit of wriggle room. So yeah. theoretically, if, if they don't have a new general manager to this summer, uh, Boudreaux only has one more year contract. Most GMs, uh, out of respect, will take a, a season to kind of view the landscape, see what he's inheriting, and then make, make major decisions from there. So I don't think the Canucks are going to be encumbered too much by hiring Bruce Boudreaux for this season and next. But again, it would have been better to have the GM first. Uh, I suspect that just wasn't very likely. Yeah, I'm not going to sugarcoat things. Sometimes availability is the best ability. But with Bruce Boudreaux, there has been some ability in the past to unlock offense. Is, is that something that the Canucks ownership and remaining brass were looking for? Well, I, I, they need their young players to get going because it's almost unfathomable as a group 
how much these guys have struggled. And Quinn Hughes has been terrific on defense, but I'm talking about the guys up front, you know, Brock Besser and mm -hmm. Elias Pettersson especially, but lately even Bo Horvat and, and JT Miller. So these guys have to get going. And the players who spoke this morning talked about the positivity from Boudreaux. We know that he likes to rely heavily on his top players. He's an enthusiastic guy. He's encouraging them. Uh, encouraged them in, the, in his meeting this morning with the team that they are good players, that they have scored in this league, so just go out there and do it again. So, you know, the Canucks are going to have a lot of energy tonight. How much more structure they have, which has been uh, some of the problem at time, how well they're going to do on special teams, which has been a huge problem with this team, that remains to be seen. But I think they are going to get a, a pretty good bump in energy and enthusiasm, and they're hoping that that might be enough to get some of these young guys going. All right, we talked about the coach. What will the management team look like moving forward? Well, Stan Smeal, who's, who's been with the organization basically is an entire adult life, you know, first as a player yeah. and, and then in various positions in, in, in management, is, is going to be the interim GM, but this is going to be a collaborative group. Uh, Ryan Johnson, r really well-respected uh, director of player development, has been their minor league GM. He's going to have a, a big voice in this group. Daniel and Henrik Sedin, you know, the two Canuck icons that were brought aboard as special advisors to Jim Benning. Well, they're now going to be special advisors in, in this uh, management group. And, and Chris Gear, who is the surviving uh, assistant GM who, who uh, does a lot of the contract work, he does a lot of operations uh, stuff with the team, works with the minor league team, he's going to be involved as well. So Stan won't be making these decisions on his own, but uh, you know, Stan is a, a figure in Vancouver who still carries enormous respect among people. I, I think it's a good choice for now. But ultimately, they're, they're going to find a, a GM to run this team. And who knows, maybe the GM comes from this group who's going to be working collaboratively for the next while. There have already been suggestions that the Canucks might be interested in, in hiring former Habs GM Mark Bergevin. First, what are you hearing on that front? And two, do you think it could work? Uh, I think there's some interest there, but doesn't Bergevin look like he needs a break yeah. <laughs> after what happened in in, yes. in Montreal? I mean, there's also been talk about Scott Mellenby, Roberto Luongo uh, is a figure, obviously, with a rich history with his team. He's very popular uh, in the market. There, there's been talk about him. So, uh, again, I think if anything were imminent, they probably would have tried to hold off hiring the coach until they had the GM, but I do think there's going to be a pretty extensive search here in the next little while. Might there be a president of hockey operations moving forward? Because that was some of the criticism about what Jim Benning had to do, is that there was Jim Benning and then there was Francesco Aquiline. Yeah, I, I, think it, I think there's been a big void in the organization in a lot of ways since uh, Trevor Linden was kind of pushed aside as president of hockey operations in 2018, it did remove what seems to us to be a pretty important buffer between ownership and management. And I remember at the time when, when Lyndon left talking to Benning about this, and he, and he wasn't worried about it. He said he's accustomed to, to dealing with owners, and even though he had a lower position uh, when he was with the Boston Bruins before he came to the Canucks, he was accustomed to, to managing up and dealing with people at the top. But... You know, that relationship 
can be onerous, and especially when things are difficult to get that daily call from from the owner, or sometimes yeah. multiple times a day. That's not easy. So uh, they've also missed uh, Lyndon as kind of a spokesman, as somebody who could could message for them or message more effectively than what Jim Benning did. So uh, I would hope, I think a lot of people hope, that the Aquilinis, as part of this change, will restore that position because I think it would simplify things for the hockey operations staff and certainly uh, relieve some of the burden on whoever the next GM is going to be. Uh, not quite 1991, but in the early 2000s, they used to travel this country far and wide uh, doing play-by-play in the NLL and the CFL. And I used to hear the Toronto Sports Network stuff all of the time. And I promised I wouldn't be like that. So I've always tried to listen to fan bases to hear what they're talking about. And one of the things that I kept hearing from the fan base in Vancouver was, why haven't we heard from Francesco Aquilini? They were watching the Twitter account, October 29th until today, the last tweet. They get that chance today. Am I right, one, that his last general availability with the media was in 2014? And what do you expect to hear today? Uh, You are right that that was his last general uh, availability. And uh, I suspect because he has brought in an experienced coach, because so many of the core players on this team are age 26 and under, I suspect he's going to declare his belief in this group and that he he doesn't think uh, full rebuild is necessary and that he's going to give these these players a chance with this new coach to play their way uh, out of this. And, and, you know, I I think for now it's a sensible position. You know, they don't have uh, a whole whole pile of UFAs for this season that they have to make decisions on. There are other players that they have to decide on. Brock Besser's in the final year of his contract, he'll be an RFA, but with a hefty qualifying offer, they'll have to make a decision on him. But they do have some time here uh, this season. I mean, there's there's 57 games left. There's a lot of time to assess. There's time to see how Boudreaux does with these players. And I think importantly, uh, get the reaction, get the input from the people who are joining the organization on what they think is wrong. Because obviously right. uh, ownership will have the input of the guys who are here, but it, it's fresh eyes now and fresh minds who are going to be looking at this problem of how to get the Vancouver Canucks to play better. I think they would want to take some of that feedback as well. Do, do you think that this, and two quick ones here because we're running out of time, but I, I got to ask this. Do you think that this will be an entertaining news conference? Do you think that Francesco Aquilini, because he hasn't been available for for years, might get grilled today? Yeah, well, it, interesting it, it will be for sure. Right. Entertaining, uh, I'm not sure. It depends what your level of entertainment right. is, I suppose. Right. He, he doesn't do a lot. He doesn't do a lot of uh, public speaking, at least as far as the media goes. And, uh, you know, the first time he did this was, was when he hired Mike Gillis. So you go back to uh, 2008 when, when uh, Dave Nonis was fired and Mike Gillis came in. And that was pretty much a disaster. That was, that was Aquiline's first press conference. He's had one since then, so he doubled his experience. So we'll see right. how he does today. But it has been a long time, and people do want to know what the family thinks. It, it's both the blessing and the curse of the, the ownership here is that right. it's uh, a Van- Vancouver family. They're passionate about the team. They're involved with the team. And people want to know what Francesco Aquilini thinks. All right, last one. D- did the jersey thrower get the job done? Uh, I think that was 
probably the last straw. They didn't yeah. get their jersey back. Someone who still wanted to wear Canuck colors uh, claimed it. But when you have that, and, and I've, I've tried to explain a lot of times, you know, any NHL team in Canada, it's a really broad fan base, and it has multiple levels. But the alpha level of the fan base is when you have the people who buy tickets spending their money and their time to go to games, voicing their displeasure, then you have a consumer issue. And the players on Saturday night, they could hear the boos as well. So then you have a performance issue. And that's why I think where we are just two days later. Uh, Ian, I know that the press conference will take place behind you, so we'll let you get out of there because it's about to take place in about 15 minutes' time, and you can see it live right here on Tim and Friends, though only on Sportsnet 360 as hometown hockey will take over at 3.30 Pacific time. Uh, Ian, always great catching up with you. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for the knowledge. Thanks, Tim. You send me a photograph of those curly locks. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll post them a little later on in the show. Uh, there is Ian McIntyre live from Vancouver. We will go right back there in less than 15 minutes' time. We'll take a break. We'll get you teed up, hometown hockey, get you ready for that news conference. And a reminder for all y'all, not only will Ron and Tara get us set, but that news conference, Francesco Aquilini, Stan Smeal, Bruce Boudreaux a little later, we're staying overtime. Tim and friends got you covered. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. For the month of December, Sportsnet is a proud supporter of the Rogers Holiday Harmony Project. The Harmony Project is a way for holiday shoppers to connect with equity-deserving businesses across the country. Businesses owned by black, indigenous, people of color, LGBTQ, 2S+, women, and people with disabilities. During these unprecedented times, these diverse businesses need your support as we all look to inspire a little more harmony this holiday season. Please visit rogers.com backslash holiday harmony project to search out gifts for everyone on your list and celebrate using the hashtag holiday, holiday harmony project. Got it good and since you understood. Got tripped up there by the Holiday Harmony Project. That's not easy. Holiday Harmony Project. How about Rogers Hometown Hockey coming up in minutes on Sportsnet live from Pembroke, Ontario in the heart of the Ottawa Valley to tee it up. Some of the stories you'll see tonight. Let's check in. Ron McLean, Tarasla. Yes. Hey, Tim. We had a big blizzard last night in Pembroke, and I mean whipping winds and a foot of snow, and it's a sign because there's not a snowball's chance in hell we're going to get to all the history <laughs> of hockey town. That's a, there's a big spat with Detroit all the time when they call it hockey town, right. but I'm sorry, Detroit. Or is it Music City? I don't know. It's both, for sure. And we are going to talk a lot about hockey tonight. It is Hockey Town Canada. But I actually have a connection here. I recorded my solo album uh, that came out in 2007 right here in Pembroke. So I took many a trip on the milk run on, on the bus uh, up to Pembroke and uh, got my feet wet here. Well, you're going to see uh, Sierra Levesque is a rising star and is opening the telecast for us, Tim. Uh, unbelievable. Did the anthem last night at the Lumber Kings. And it's such a storied franchise. And yeah, how do we even start to tell uh, the story? Maybe we just say PJ is going to be on the show, PJ Stock. PJ Stock had an incredible two-year career with the Lumber Kings. Um, but, I mean, the history here goes beyond that. We're, we're actually at the Pembroke Memorial Centre uh, station right outside. Seventy years ago, this opened, so we take a tour of, of that. 
Um, but we have three Hall of Famers from Pembroke, which I think will come as a surprise to lots of people. Right, uh, including the guy who won the first Hart Trophy and the first two Lady Bing Trophies, Frank Nyber. And we've got footage of Frank uh, teaching kids how to uh, do the hook check. Not a poke, not a sweep, but the hook check, Tim. You'd love this. And it's uh, on either the Ottawa or the Muskrat. I'm not sure. There's four rivers, 700 lakes. It's the most beautiful part of the world, but it's icy. And I'm glad that Father Pat Blake, who was at the game last night, uh, is going to correct me on Snowball's chance. Back to you, Tim. <laughs> Uh, that is awesome. Ron and Tara again coming up in less than five minutes time with hometown hockey. And Jesse, he mentioned uh, whipping winds and snow last night in Pembroke. Is that what we're seeing in Buffalo as we prepare for one of the most interesting Monday nighters in a long time? It's like we planned it. It's basically like we planned it and we didn't. But in Buffalo, there is wind and there is snow. And we have the visuals to prove it. Here is video of the wind <laughs> oh that is whipping, goodness. whipping in Buffalo right now. As you said, he, look at the goalposts swaying. Looks like they're going to just peel off. That looks unsafe. It looks unsafe. So this was about uh, an hour or two and a half hours ago, just about. Oh, there you go. Yeah, 3.30. Yeah, 3.30. So, I mean, clearly. My, my mass is two hours, but whatever. Whatever, whatever. Uh, <laughs> What's three hours? hours? No, it's three hours. Three hours. Whatever. Yeah, yeah we're yeah we're in TV. Not uh, we're not mathematicians. <laughs> well, obviously. Uh, okay, so clearly, <laughs> clearly the football uh, playing football in that weather is uh, in, would be interesting. And now it just adds snow to the equation. We had wind. Oh my goodness! Here's the, the snow. Uh, it looks kind of like a snow globe to me, but yeah, they're going to be playing a football game in a rather important. That's a snow globe being thrown. Yes. Like that's right. Like it's going sideways. A massively important football game, too, which is... Uh, so, yeah, that's that. And then uh, here's the Monday Night Football crew uh, doing hits <laughs> and getting nearly blown over by the wind. Like, it's been windy here in Toronto, but this is uh, another level. Look at the papers yeah. just going Flying. everywhere. It's dangerous. I, this is... Uh, this is. I feel like... So, I, I released my picks while on vacation. Look at the papers. Okay. So, before you get to your pick, because, oh, okay. yes, uh, massive implications for you. Uh, but massive implications for the over-under line in this game as well. So yeah. uh, originally 48 and has been trending down ever since. And within the last few hours, it has dropped all the way to 39 and a half. If you have any fantasy players playing in this game, uh, probably not good for you. And to me, you mentioned that you do have a pick on this game. How are you feeling given what we just witnessed? Yeah, now it turns into a coin flip. Yeah. Like, anything can happen in weather like this. Like, I have the Bills. Uh, I got them on Friday at minus two and a half as my pick for the week. But looking at that snow and the blowing and the, just, you have no idea what's going to happen. Like, turnovers will determine what happens in this game. And it's a coin flip on who secures the ball better. Um, and also, six years ago, so I don't know how relevant this is, but six years ago, Mac Jones, obviously uh, the leading candidate for Offensive Rookie of the Year, a big part of the Patriots' winning streak. This is what he tweeted six years ago. I have never seen snow. So we don't know if he's seen snow in the six years since this tweet, but that's Mac Jones saying he had never seen snow before. He's going to see it tonight. How old is Mac Jones now? Uh, He's just another math question. Like he's for me. 14. Like, so he's like 14 there, probably. Yes, he's 21. 23. Yeah, 20, yeah. 16. Do 17, the math again. So now he's 17. So 17. Depending on when his birthday old, was. Yeah. <laughs> you would have seen it maybe at Alabama. No, SEC. No, probably not. Probably not. So, yes. If he has, he probably didn't play football in the okay, snow. Okay, let's, let's hold on. Priorities here. 
How does this affect Bill's Mafia on a month? I saw pictures from Buffalo at the break of dawn, the tailgate starting. Like, this severely impacts what would be maybe the most raucous crowd in the history of Monday Night Football. Oh, they're still going. And they're going to be crazy. I think this is going to provide us with a ton of content for tomorrow. Like, you're going to see more videos than usual because of the snow, because of the wind. It's going to be crazier. I went to a Sunday nighter in Buffalo against the Jets. Mm. It was the most insane sporting event. People were urinating off the top of the building no, when people good. left. Yeah, no. That's, that's uncalled for is what that is. But that's the level. Like, I'm trying. We have four seconds left. I'm trying to establish the level of what we might see tonight. Yeah, it, it could get there. Okay. It could get there. That's the football game. Rogers hometown hockey will see none of that. You can see it on Sportsnet. Ron and Tara are taking the, the class level up to another level in Pembroke, Ontario. That's followed by the Avs and Flyers.